Hawks fans, and welcome to another episode of the Kettlecast with your host, Forrest Willoughby. In this episode, we'll talk about the Hawks' latest three games, we'll talk about John Collins' candidacy for the All-Star Game, and I'll finish this episode with a new segment I'm calling Overtime, where I talk about something other than Atlanta Hawks basketball. Without further ado, let's get right into it. The Hawks' last three games have been against the Philadelphia 76ers, the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Oklahoma City Thunder. They started on the road playing the Philadelphia 76ers, and going in, this was going to be a tough game because the 76ers have the best home record in the NBA. The 76ers were without Joel Embiid, but the Hawks were also playing without Kent Bazemore still, Notorian Prince. This was going to be a tough matchup for the Hawks, and the Hawks were able to grind out a victory. Um, This game was extremely encouraging for one major reason, in that Kevin Herter really had his kind of breakout game. Kevin scored 29 points, was 5 of 8 from three-point land, and had three assists and three rebounds in 39 minutes of play. And it was just a very encouraging game for Kevin Herter. The counting stats were there, but some of the things that I was most excited about was just how he got those points and how he played in the game. Two plays stick out to me in particular. He had one in the fourth quarter where the ball was moving around the court and found its way to Kevin, and Kevin dribbled like he was going to go into the paint towards the rim, but he realized that no one was around him, and he was shooting the ball very well this entire game. He kind of took a step in, realized how open he was, took a step back behind the three-point line, and drilled a three-pointer. And that helped the Hawks not only stay in this game, but sort of really stabilize in the fourth quarter when this game was going back and forth. He also had a drive that I think was in the first half where he drove to the basket. He went up and he took a bump from the defender, and instead of kind of throwing the shot up right when he... jumped up he collected himself took the hit and then put the ball up on the glass and made the layup so to see him really kind of be very deliberate in the shots that he was taking and also his approach it was just extremely um encouraging to watch Uh, for a lot of rookies getting into the nba they have the talent to play at this level and one of the hardest parts to get better at is just to understand the speed at which the NBA is played. Um, At other levels, most of these athletes have been able to dominate just because of the talents that they have. They're better than their competition. But in the NBA, you're going against all the the best players and everything. And so the speed at which the game is played can really throw some players off. And at the beginning of the season, I think you saw that with Kevin on the defensive side of the ball and also on the offensive side of the ball and just – He wasn't shooting the ball when it came. I don't know if that was because he didn't have the summer league and training camp to get ready like the other rookies did, or if it was just kind of the shock of how fast the NBA is. But it took Kevin a little bit to get going, and um, going from such a good three-point shooter or just shooter in college to kind of being hesitant to shoot um, was a little frustrating just for me watching him. 
to sort of see him, at least in in this streak of games, to really be assertive and to really look for his shots has been extremely encouraging. So Kevin had a wonderful game. His three-pointers really kept the Hawks in this game, but he was not the only bright spot. Trey Young was 3 of 8 from three-point land, had 18 points, 5 assists, and 4 rebounds in 32 minutes. John Collins had 19 points and 9 rebounds, and he was 4 of 6 from three-point land in 34 minutes, and none of his shots were bigger than the last shot of the game. The Hawks were able to keep it close. It was a very back-and-forth game, um, especially being in Wells Fargo Arena, which is where the 76ers play. Um, and the crowd cheering against them, the 76ers were able to take the lead in the fourth quarter. And if you've ever been to any basketball game, the crowd gets really into it, first of all, just in close games. And then if their team has had to come all the way back, even more so, it kind of feels like you make a breakthrough when your team finally gets the lead. And a backup point guard for the 76ers, McConnell, hit a three to put the 76ers up and it kind of felt like the momentum was a little bit shifting to the 76ers way but the Hawks were able to uh, have it be a tied going into the Hawks final possession and it started with Kevin Herter getting the ball he had been you know doing so well with his 29 points and he was able to get the ball down to John Collins and John hit a very difficult turnaround shot against Mike Muscala former Hawk to put the Hawks up by two with less than 10 seconds to go, which was fantastic. John had a really good game. It was super encouraging to see how well Kevin played. And just for Coach Pierce to go into Philadelphia, where he was an assistant coach to Brett Brown, and get a victory in front of that staff, for any NBA player or coach, when you go back to where you were any time earlier in your career, it's special, and some of the players said that they were happy to get the win for Coach Pierce, and to go in to uh, Wells Fargo Arena and really get a win from the 76ers is extremely encouraging for a young team, and especially one like the Hawks, who had let uh, fourth quarter leads slip away and who are so young. One big thing to take away in this game was the Hawks had 27 assists to 21 turnovers. Now, 21 turnovers is way too many turnovers. It's kind of gotten to the point where anytime the Hawks have less than 10 turnovers and a half, it's a good sign. And that's too many anyway. Like, 10 is way too many. Like, just looking for less than 10 isn't exactly a stellar sign. But it's a lot of young players. The Hawks play at a very high uh, rate of possessions in the game. So there's a lot of opportunities for the Hawks to turn the ball over. One good thing about turning the ball over, it does show they're passing the ball. A lot of their turnovers are trying to make passes inside, trying to make passes to teammates, and it's just too hard of a pass to throw. Or they haven't really, they still do a lot of the bounce passes in the paint, which I don't like, but they have gotten pretty adept at throwing. Unfortunately, a lot of those turnovers are live ball turnovers, and so the other team gets a very good opportunity to score. And the 76ers took advantage of those 21 turnovers to the tune of 35 points off of those turnovers. And in a close game, a game that the Hawks won 123 to 121, those 35 points are huge. If the Hawks can cut down on their turnovers, that really will help them win games or it'll make it a lot easier to win games. Now, that's difficult because it's easy to be like, 
well, yeah, you want everybody not to have turnovers. Um, and one way to do that would just not be to pass the ball as much. And they've been moving the ball really well. And actually coming up in this third game in this set, the game against the Thunder, they were moving the ball so well and ended up having 36 assists. So you don't want to stop the passes. You just want the Hawks to make more good passes and for each side of that pass, both the passer and the person receiving the pass, to have an idea of like where the person needs to get the ball and what sort of speed to put on the ball to get it so it doesn't go through the person's hands. Um, and our point guard is a rookie point guard in Trey Young, and he's doing a wonderful job racking up assists, but he also has several passes a game that are maybe just a little bit too ambitious. And I think you'd rather have him be too ambitious than not willing to throw those passes, but some of his passes are passes that it seems like would never get through. And then some of his passes... I mean, he had one wonderful pass we'll get to in the Thunders game that should have ended up being an assist, and Alex Linder just missed the shot. But cutting down on turnovers is something that the Hawks are going to have to continue to harp on. And I know they they know it's an issue, but when their assist-to-turnover ratio is at one is positive, it's a good sign, and that's probably a sign that the Hawks are going to win that game. A, a way to make that a lot easier is not to have as many turnovers. So after coming off this great win against the 76ers, the Hawks then came home to play the Milwaukee Bucks, who had just really kicked their butt up in Milwaukee a week or so earlier. I was able to go to this game, and it it was very interesting to me to see if the Hawks would sort of hang their heads and be like, well, we're totally outclassed by this Milwaukee team that's coming in and looks like it's maybe one of the best in the Eastern Conference, or if they'd be like, all right, let's take this challenge and see if we can get a win. And the Hawks really played well for three quarters of this game. It was back and forth. The Bucks are just so good at defense and are so long, it can be really hard to string together wins or good possessions. And this game was not any different. Milwaukee really sort of took control from the beginning And they had their two big quarters in the second quarter and the fourth quarter. And the fourth quarter is really what did the Hawks in. I mean, Malcolm Brogdon, who is just a very solid wing player for the Bucks, and then, of course, Giannis Antetokounmpo were just monsters for the Milwaukee Bucks, and they ended up winning 133-114. to Like I was saying in the game before, the turnover to assist ratio sort of tells the story of the game where the Hawks had 24 turnovers and they only had 19 assists. And those 24 turnovers turned into 36 points for the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, and that's just a big number to try to overcome for the for the Hawks. Trey had a, a big scoring game where he had 26 points. He also had 10 rebounds, but he only had four assists. Both Omari Spellman and John Collins only had 13 points, and Kevin Herter had 11 points on 2 of 5 from 3-point land. It was just a game where at the end you could really tell the difference in quality of teams, and Giannis really dominated the game. I mean, he had a plus 20 rating on the game, which means while he was in, the Bucks outscored the Hawks by 20 points. Um, and one fascinating part of the game for me was uh, he got a huge cheer when he was pulled, and like at the end of the game, when it was clear that the Bucks were going to win, he got a huge um, cheer from the Atlanta crowd, 
which surprised me uh, and sort of shows how big of a star Giannis has become, even being in Milwaukee. But usually cheers like that are reserved for huge stars who come in from the Lakers or the Knicks. I mean, Kobe and LeBron James and Carmelo back in the day would get huge cheers similar to that one. But I never heard anything of like, like that for, for Giannis. And it was just, it was pretty strange. And honestly, it showed me that there are a bunch of basketball fans in Atlanta. I mean, they know enough to see how good of a player Giannis is. That was the first time I had heard such a cheer for Giannis, and it was pretty interesting to be in the crowd for that one. That's about all I have to say about the Milwaukee game. It was just very clear who the better team was, and as as well as the Hawks played for three quarters, they just could never really close the gap to like below six points, and um, that fourth quarter was was a real backbreaker. And that takes us to the Thunder game. The Thunder, obviously, uh, one subplot going into the Thunder game is it was Dennis Schroeder's first game back to Atlanta after he had been traded out of out for Carmelo Anthony. He had some words talking about why he asked for a trade. And to be honest, he didn't really say that he asked for a trade. He, he sort of said that both sides knew, both the front office and his people knew that his time in Atlanta was coming to a close but he said he never talked to Travis Schlink he said that he wanted to go to a team with a winning mentality and he didn't want to be part of a team that was going out and be asked to lose I think that Dennis has never really had a great way with words coming from Germany I think uh, he may not always say exactly what he means that quote of his had a lot of drew up a big reaction in Atlanta Rightfully so, I guess. I, no team, as much as any team are tanking, no players go onto the court trying to lose games. Dennis was frustrated last year that um, the Hawks weren't a better team. And now he's on a team that is has the best defense in basketball and is contending in the Western Conference. And so I think he was just trying to say that he wants to be on a team competing for championships. He came into the game clearly motivated to try to win. He had a very good game against the Hawks. He had 20 points. was just the usual menace, especially against Jalen Adams, who was filling in for the injured uh, Jeremy Lin. But the Hawks were able to really take control of this game from the beginning. They were able to get the win, 142-126. to 126. Now, it wasn't that big of a blowout the whole game the Hawks started the game and they were up 15 the Thunder came all the way back um, as a team with Russell Westbrook and Paul George you'd expect them to but the Hawks took that punch and ended up winning the game and really running away with it at the end going back to the stat I was talking about the Hawks had 36 assists in this game they had 18 assists in the first half which was just incredible and a lot of their assists the Hawks are getting a lot of assists, are alley-oops to their bigs. John Collins, of course, is a big recipient of that. Omari Spellman had a couple dunks that were off of very nice passes inside, and Alex Lynn had a very nice game. Of course, as I was alluding to earlier, Trey Young had a wonderful little sequence where he really was putting on a show dribbling. He did a head fake that got both Paul George and Steven Adams up in the air and threw a beautiful bounce pass to Alex Lynn. And Alex Lynn completely blew the layup or the dunk. He didn't try to dunk it. He tried to lay it up. 
while Trey was dribbling and, and did the fake, the entire stadium goes, oh. And then when Alex Lynn missed the dunk or the lay-in, the whole crowd just sort of let out a sigh. They were waiting. They wanted to explode on that finish. And with him missing that, it just sort of took a little bit of the air out of the stadium. But that was really the only negative of the entire game. They The Hawks had 18 turnovers to those 36 assists. And the Thunder were only able to score 13 points off of those uh, 18 turnovers. So the Hawks were a lot better with the ball. I think that comes from being able to be in the lead for a, a large part of the game. Trey had a monster game with 24 points and six assi- uh, six rebounds and 11 assists. He was four of nine for from three point land and had in 33 minutes. Herder had 17 points with four assists and three rebounds. He was five of eight from three point land, and it felt like he could even have shot a couple more. And he was guarding Paul George for the majority of the game. So those 37 minutes from Kevin were huge. Uh, Omari started the game, and he had 10 points, one of three from three point land with three assists and three rebounds. And then John Collins just chipped in with 26 points three assists, and five rebounds in 28 minutes. I mean, he is incredible. But you really have to give it up to Kevin Herter and DeAndre Bembry. Um, Those were the guys primarily guarding Paul George and uh, Russell Westbrook. They really frustrated those guys uh, a lot of the night. Uh, Russell Westbrook got his uh, points and, and his stats. He was had 31 points and 11 assists, and Paul George had 24 points and 8 rebounds and 5 steals. They were really able to force those guys to take tough shots, um, and really Russell Westbrook had to get a lot of his points at the free throw line. He had 14 free throw attempts um, and made 11 of them, but it was a very impressive game. Uh, it was extremely awesome to be in the arena at the farm for this one. People were into it. The Thunder coming all the way back and making it an exciting game at the end of the third quarter, and then the Hawks really blowing it up in the fourth quarter was just very encouraging. And the style of basketball the Hawks play, especially when they're hitting three-pointers, just really gets people out of their seats. There are multiple times when the arena blew up because of a shot that Kevin Herter make made or a uh, dunk from John Collins. Um, and after the game, it, I went to the Hawk shop to look at some merchandise. The Hawks were wearing their uh, powder blue uniforms that were a throwback to when they first came to Atlanta. And so all of the merchandise, they were showing the old logo and, and a lot of that powder blue. And it was packed, and there were a lot of people in there that were wearing Thunder um, t-shirt jerseys and, and thunder hats and stuff and um, that were getting Hawks gear uh, and I, so I think like not only getting people to the game but having people really excited about the players and the style of basketball um, is awesome and is starting to get some fans uh, I think the biggest engagement for fans is still the foul shot promotion, which is a promotion by Chick-fil-A that if in the fourth quarter a member of the other team misses two free throws in a row, um, the entire stadium gets a coupon for a free Chick-fil-A sandwich. Um, and if any uh, player misses that front end of a 
two free throws, the arena gets really loud. And there's usually one cheer of Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A going on. And, I mean, the te- the players on the other team know what's on the line as well. And Russell Westbrook and then um, another wing player for the Thunder, Hamadou Diallo, both had multiple chances where they missed the front end of their free throws but ended up making the second one. But it gets loud at the farm for that Chick-fil-A. People want that, and they know – they know what it's about, so that's pretty fun. DeAndre Bembry, I can also just want to talk about his end of the game. He had two steals at the end of the game. Once when Russell Westbrook was trying to save time and did not pick up the ball until he was trying to wait to pick up the ball until half court to save some time when the Thunder still had an opportunity and Bembry stole the ball and dunked it. And then once Billy Donovan had sort of waved the white flag and put in his substitutes, the substitutes made a bad pass that Brimbury got a clean breakaway and he sort of rocked the baby with the basketball and then threw down a ma- massive dunk. And he was just, he did really well. He hit a three in this game. His his shooting has become really strong and he's starting to take it really to the basket. And DeAndre Brimbury has a little bit of an unorthodox game where guys don't really know when he's going to take it up. He can get shots off the backboard because the other team doesn't know when he's going to make it. And I say that also, too, because once I was in the uh, Hawk shop, he there was a man in there going, I'm getting the number 95 uh, jersey because that dude is fantastic and uh, really, really grindy out there. So um, people are starting to enjoy the Hawks a little bit. Um, but for the Hawks to go 2-1 and one over that three-game stretch against the 76ers, the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Thunder is extremely encouraging. And the Hawks have just been playing well, w- much better overall lately. They are 8-7 and seven in the last 15 games. And now they get a, a three-day break, which is their second three-day break of the season. Um, and the last three-day break they have this season, not including the All-Star break. Um Their next game will be against the Boston Celtics at home on Saturday. And it'll be interesting to see how the Hawks, if they're able to take a little bit of momentum from this Thunder game, and if they're able to uh, compete against another top team in the East. Um, So the next thing I wanted to talk about was just John Collins. Um, We're starting to get towards the All-Star game and, you're able to vote right now on Google or on NBA.com. And John Collins should be at least considered for the All-Star game. John Collins has played in 28 games this year. Um, in the 16 games the Hawks played without John, they were 3-13 and for a 19% win rate, whereas with John Collins they've been 11-17 and for a, a 39% win rate. Um, he is averaging 19 points. 10 rebounds and two assists on 58% shooting, 34% from three, um, and 61% effective field goal percentage, which um, basically takes into account that three points is greater than two points, and so it weights the three-point shots a little uh, differently than the two-point shots. So to put that in context, there are only nine people in the NBA who are averaging similar numbers and that's not including the effective field goal percentage um so that's nine people who are averaging at least 19 points and at least 10 rebounds and those are Giannis Antetokounmpo uh Nikola 
Vukovic for the Magic, Carl Anthony Towns, Jokic, Anthony Davis, Joel Embiid, Russell Westbrook, and Kevin Love. If you lower the points to 17 points a game, Clint Capella gets in. So that's a total of 10, including John Collins, with those sort of stats. And I think the other nine are clear all-star. I mean, you could you could say that Nikola Vucevic is not an all-star, but I mean, honestly, that's an elite group of guys that um, are getting the stats, and John Collins is doing it in the fewest minutes of any of them per game. He's just been extremely effective on his way back, and it's in- incredible to see a second-year player put it together as quickly as John Collins has. So that's, I would say, get out and vote for John. Just go to Google, Google uh, NBA All-Star Atlanta Hawks, and you should be able to vote for him. But if he doesn't make the All-Star game, he should at least be in the dunk competition. If you've watched any of the Hawks games this year, I think you can agree with that. We'll probably have Trey Young, at least in the rookie, the Rising Stars game, which usually has rookies versus second-year players, or sometimes they do it American versus international players, first- and second-year players. And uh, Kevin Herter and Trey should at least be thought about for the three-point competition. I think Trey started the year slow enough where he won't be considered, but the way Kevin Herter's been playing lately, he should at least be um, considered for that. I think it would be wonderful and deserved if John Collins was able to make the All-Star Reserves. Finally, to close this episode, I'm introducing a new segment called Overtime, where I talk about something other than Atlanta Hawks basketball. And this time, I'm going to talk about the Super Bowl coming to Atlanta. The Atlanta Falcons owner, Audra Blank, built a brand new stadium for the Falcons and also Atlanta United, the soccer team, uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and it is beautiful. It's a wonderful new stadium. If you haven't had an opportunity to go to it, I would definitely recommend it. It is wonderful. It is open. There's beautiful sight lines. It is a fantastic stadium. And as has been the history of the NFL, if a team builds a new stadium, they generally get a Super Bowl. And so the Super Bowl is going to be Atlanta this year. And sort of the worst case scenario is still available, um, still possible to happen with the hated New Orleans Saints and um, New England Patriots being able to meet in a Super Bowl in Atlanta. Um, my thoughts on this is, yes, it would suck if the Saints made the Super Bowl. Um, I think that rivalry between the Falcons and the Saints does not get enough publicity. Both sides really don't like each other. There's been incidents where it's been suggested that Saints players peed on the Falcons um, field and it's just not a very good rivalry and the worst case scenario certainly would be Drew Brees holding up the Vince Lombardi trophy at the end of the Super Bowl. Um, this, this New England Patriots are more just the general evil empire. Of course, they beat the Falcons in heartbreaking fashion but they're just kind of like they've been there a million times and no one really likes the patriots and so i don't really care if the patriots make it i'd much rather have pat mahomes and the chiefs come from um that side of the bracket but honestly i I really don't care about the new england patriots i mean their fans are some of the worst as well because you'd think that like boston fans would be happy with all the championships they've gotten lately but 
Um, I don't mind the Patriots as much as the Saints truly suck. Um, my dream Super Bowl certainly would be the Rams versus the Chiefs, and I think I'd like the Chiefs to win just because I've to see Andy Reid shed the uh, title of playoff Andy Reid, and um, I have a buddy who's a resident out in Kansas City. Um, I just think it'd be very cool for that team to win. Um, they also have some, you know, Georgia Bulldogs on that roster, but I strongly agree that the Saints winning would be the worst case scenario, but other than that, any other winner would be okay with me. I want to thank you for listening this long on the Kettlecast. would really appreciate it if you could leave a review um, and or subscribe to the Kettlecast. Uh, I'll be producing these at a more regular uh, rate going forward, and go Hawks!